Welcome to the OA Light a Candle Meeting Podcast. Visit our website at www.oalaig.org where you'll find three separate speaker feeds with over 200 speaker files, forms for ordering CDs for these speakers, and a place to donate to keep this special service active. I would now like to introduce our speaker for tonight, Laura. Hi, I'm Laura, compulsive reader. Hi, Laura. Boy, what a, what a thrill to be able to share my experience, strength, and hope in OA. I came to this fellowship in August of, of 1989, and um, I started abstaining about a week and a half later. So last August, I took a candle for 20 years. And um, I came into this program completely separated from, my, from myself. Um, I weighed about 70 pounds more than I do now, but I had gotten really, really good at denial of my physical self. I was separated from myself emotionally, spiritually, and physically, and so, you know, it really, it was like that wasn't even foremost in the reason that I came here, because I came because I was tyrannized by food, and I couldn't stop eating, and I wanted very much to stop eating, and I tried, and I couldn't, and I couldn't, and I couldn't. And um, I think, you know, I remember being a compulsive or feeling so um, dependent on food from very young, from a very young age. I was, um, I remember when I went to uh, some family trip when I was probably like six or seven, and I just, I specifically, I could tell you what was, what I ate at that dinner because it was really, you know, it was it was so exceptional. It was it was my comfort. It was what I what I used to to feel okay about myself. You know, I was uh, I was never actually really overweight until I was a teenager, probably about fifteen or sixteen. But when I was ten years old, I I am the height I am now, which is five four, and um, I was really big for my age, tall for my age, and I just. For whatever reason, you know, my parents reacted to me as if I were seriously overweight, and I and I felt treated like that, and I felt humiliated by that, and that the scars of that remain to this day. I have to work a really strong program to um, accept myself as I am, whatever I am. And really, you know, in OA, I did lose weight when I when I first came, but. It took a lot of years to to come to a place of self-acceptance and love so that I could be okay, you know, wherever I was. And it was really kind of then when, when my weight started to become a little more normal. You know, I grew up just being, um, never feeling like I was enough in any area. And I was very, um, my mom is... Uh, you know, she was raised to to be perfect, and she wanted me to be just like her, and I am so opposite of my mom in every single way. And so our, my whole early childhood was about her trying to make me be like her. And again, that was very scarring because I couldn't, I rebelled, but I never felt like I was okay. And the food loved me no matter what even though the food was my enemy as well because it made me, you know, un- I mean, it didn't make me uncomfortable so much as it did, as it did, you know, 
having a, a physical effect on me on my uh, on my size and that made me uncomfortable but that never was enough to I never di- I mean I dieted but you know I never did like weight watchers I never did all that stuff I just ate and um when I became when I I guess when I went to college I I did go on a diet one summer, and I lost about 30 pounds. And it just reinforced the idea that I could do it myself, even though I had never, that had never worked. Whatever I had tried never worked. And, you know, I was I was really successful in all other areas of my life of things that I put my mind to. I, you know, I, just everything else. If I put my mind to it, I could do it. And so it didn't make any sense to me that I couldn't stop eating. It didn't make any sense to me that on the morning I would say, oh, you know, I'd, I'd have like a binge, and then I would be so feel so sick. Okay, I'm never going to do that again. And then the next morning, a thought would come into my head, or I'd think of a food, or I'd smell something, and I had no defense against it. I had to eat. I had to overeat. I had to. I had to use food, and I couldn't stop. You know, I was I was uh, 35 when I came into OA, so that was 35 years of, or 30 anyway, of of being miserable over not being able to do anything about about something that I really thought I should be able to do. And it was also, you know, the whole idea like, well, why why wouldn't I? You know, why couldn't I? I just thought I just wasn't trying hard enough. I just thought I didn't have the whatever. And, um, you know, people would say, oh, well, you know, when you get married, you'll lose weight. Well, when I got married, I was, uh, I was my heaviest. I was probably, you know, close to 250 pounds, or at least certainly in the first year after I got married. I was at my top weight when I came into OA. I remember one time, you know, just the, the, the depths, which we all can relate to. I'm sure I'm not saying anything. By the way, welcome, Nancy. Welcome to this meeting and welcome to OA. And happy birthday to the birthday people. It's great to see you guys. I, I remember one time I was, I went, I, I had a box of, of, of C's candy and a box, not a couple pieces. <laughs> I'm sure everyone can relate. And, and I ate as much of it as I possibly could. And I just remember still feeling, and, and I couldn't, I, so I couldn't eat anymore. And I just remember still feeling so empty. I just, it just, you know, food finally stopped working, but I kept trying. I kept, you know, the persistence of the illusion was astonishing. And, and again, just being so, so um, discouraged and un, unhappy and unbelieving that I couldn't, that, it, you know, the, all these experiences weren't having any effect on my being able to stop. I, I, uh, <clears throat> So what happened was um, I, I had a boss who was in AA, and um, I had a, he, he mentioned OA to me. And, of course, I was like, well, I don't, you know, I don't need that, you know. And um, that was about three years before I came in. And I remember he told me, you know, because the thing was that to admit that I had a problem was just even worse, you know. Like, because I was used to doing everything 
on my own. And, and partly, you know, the whole idea of having parents, especially a mom who was so controlling, you know, I, I got out of my parents' control as soon as I could. But again, the scars of it, you know, were, were very deep. And so a lot of my behavior was just about, well, nobody's going to tell me what to do. And I'm not going to accept help from anybody because then I'll be dependent on them. Anyway, he told me about OA. I knew that AA worked. I don't know where I knew that from because I really didn't know any alcoholics at the time, but I just knew that it worked. And then that year, or three years later, in 1989, the TV movie, um, or they made a TV movie out of the Bill, Bill Wilson founder of AA's story, and I saw it on TV. And something, something in that touched me. I don't know what, but it made me open to, it made me teachable. It made me, when the thought occurred to me a couple months later after a doctor had said to me, you know, why don't you take better care of yourself? It was like, oh, okay. This isn't about being shamed for being overweight. This isn't about, you know, trying to lose weight for a wedding, a bar mitzvah, or whatever. This isn't about Laura be t- being told she's bad, which is how I always heard it. I always heard it that way. This is about suggesting to Laura that she do something nice for herself. And so um, I called OA. And I, I went to a meeting on Thursday afternoon at the Lions Club in West Hollywood, which for many years became my home meeting, and I went there for a long time. And I walked in. was You know, it was like so unlike anything I would have ever done. It was in the middle of the work day. It was like 2 o'clock. I walked in and I saw these people sitting around in the table. And, and the meeting started. And of course, you know, I mean, I might have identified as a newcomer. I don't remember if I had that courage or not. But I, nobody really paid much attention to me. And that was just fine with me because I just wanted to sit there and, you know, just be anonymous. And, uh, and that was okay, you know. And I heard the 12 steps for the first time, really. We admitted we were powerless over food, that our lives had become unmanageable. And I was like, oh, yeah, that's, that's really true. Because I forgot to mention that after this doctor had said to me, why don't you take better care of yourself, I was like, okay. Monday came, which is always my first, you know, diet day. And, and you know, by, by 11 o'clock, I was mainlining M&M's. And... Um, so, you know, that was, that was part of the decision. I, I, I admitted I was powerless over food. My life had be- become unmanageable, and, um, and I came into the rooms, and I heard that affirmed, and what a freedom. It was like all of a sudden everything started to change. I started to realize that, I mean, here was a room full of people. Like, we are here today. We're all alike. We all have something in common. And at the time, I never thought anybody had what I had. I thought I was completely alone. In 1989, society wasn't like it is today, where people talk openly about eating disorders, and it's very, very discussed. Not back then. I thought I was alone. None of my friends that I knew of had had eating disorders, although they probably did. I just didn't know. And um, here was a room full of people that were just like me, and it felt so good, and it felt so safe came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity, 
that also resonated with me because having admitted that I was powerless, you know, what was my solution? I didn't want to turn my will and my life over to the care of a fellow, you know. I didn't want anybody telling me what to eat or what to do. But the idea that a power greater than myself, which turned out, you know, in, in the uh, in the bottom line to be, for me, God, um, that, that, that seemed okay. That seemed safe. And um, I had always believed in God, but I... Uh, I had come to a place in my life where if I was doing everything good, including and especially eating good, eating well, you know, then I was worthy of God, of having a relationship with God. And if I wasn't, then I had to, I had to separate until I went back to eating okay. But here, this was telling me that a power greater than myself could restore me to sanity and that I, I could make a decision to turn my will and my life over to the care of God as I understood him. And again, that just felt really, really safe. So I came back the next week. And uh, I bought, I think I bought a big book. I don't really remember. But I started reading the literature, which was very, very key to realizing that I wasn't alone. You know, I wasn't alone anymore. And uh, there was an OA pamphlet. I must, somebody must have given me a newcomer packet and at the time, and it said, it was very specific about what abstinence was. It was, and, and, and I liked what it said. I liked that. It, it felt comfortable to me. It felt like, it felt possible. Actually, at the meeting, I heard people saying, you know, I don't eat sugar, I don't eat flour. And I was like, not, you know, that's not for me. But other people were saying that they ate three meals a day. And that felt really okay. That felt really okay, and also what it also said in this pamphlet was that we abstain we abstain from eating between meals and we abstain from eating all individual binge foods. And you know, obviously, I'm going to add, but especially for the newcomer, that OA doesn't tell you how to eat or what to eat, and everybody who's abstaining here is different, and everybody's abstinence is different. So there's suggestions and there's you know guidance, but. What I'm saying really applies to me and what appealed to me, and it's only for me. So I like that I identified two specific foods that I mentioned earlier in my talk that I'm not going to mention again, but those were clearly binge foods for me, and I was ready to let them go. So I I really kind of took the third step literally. On a Friday night, which is really significant because my binge day was always Saturday, on a Friday night I sort of said to God as I understood God, okay, God, I'm going to turn my will and my life over to your care, literally kind of here, and I'm going to, I'm going to, you know, if it's possible, three meals tomorrow will, and, and abstaining from these particular foods, that's what I'd like to do, that's what I'm ready to do. And I went to sleep, and the next day, August 26, 1989, was my first day of abstinence and it was it was as different on Saturday from Friday as it could have been because I I was I didn't I wasn't compelled anymore I had breakfast and it was like a regular breakfast and I had lunch at at a restaurant I remember my sister and I went to either lunch or dinner I can't remember but I think both lunch and dinner were at restaurants and instead of feeling like I had to stuff myself and and buffer myself against the world, you know, I just ate real moderately. 
and I remember, you know, kind of recognizing, I don't, I mean, I'm going to articulate this the way I understand it today. I'm not sure if I really understood it at the time, but the idea was that I had to find something to replace what food was doing for me, because food was my best friend. Food was keeping me alive. Food kept me alive all those years, and that's why I couldn't let it go when I was so baffled as to why I couldn't. But here in, in, in the rooms of Overeaters Anonymous, I I found that there was an alternative, and it was this power greater than myself that was going to be a substitute and was going to take care of me the way that food, the way that food had up until that point. And so I just kind of remember just feeling like, you know, when I had that little conversation with God, as I understood God at the time, you know, it was like, okay, this happened. This is one day, and it was like a, it was a miracle, you know, and. Um, and I, it felt like a miracle. And I remember having two days felt like a miracle. And I, I remember they were talking about the chips, you know. I think it's a white chip for 30 days, but I'm not sure. I remember I, I got a sponsor at, at a meeting and just asked someone who I liked her, her, you know, she, I related to her share. And I said, and she, you know, I said, well, what if I don't get 30 days? And she said, that's okay. You could start over. She says, I know someone who has a bowl of 30-day chips. And that was so reassuring to me because I didn't have to be perfect, you know. There was nothing, nobody to please, nobody. I, I'm, I'm hearing that, no people to please. I, I know that's from some literature. I, I can't remember which literature it's from, but I, I just, it was very comforting. It was very safe. I mean, everything in... OA was safe for me, and it was, it was, you know, there was nothing in the world that was safe for me at that time in my life, because things could go really wrong, you know, and, and people got sick, or, you know, you could get fired, or whatever, you know, it was like, and I had to be perfect, that was, you know, that was where I came from, so there was love and gentleness in the rooms of Overeaters Anonymous, and I flowered and responded to that. I started reading the literature very, very intensely. And um, one of the, besides the big book, which is, of course, big book of over of Alcoholics Anonymous, besides that, the O.A. Brown book with the stories was hugely helpful to me because, again, I was reading on paper, like in a book that someone actually published, that there were people like me. And it was really, uh, you know, it was it was very, very helpful. I started working the steps. I, I got, uh, I, I had a sponsor. I mean, I've had a lot of different sponsors early in my, in my program. They all kept moving out of town. But um, I had a sponsor who helped me work the fourth step the first time. And um, she had me do it out of the big book, and it was the columns, you know, about who I was resentful at and what, you know, blah, 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 the, the various things that you write, and um, what was my part in it. And then she gave me a fifth column, which said, what would God have you do today? And the thing about my first four step was, you know, this was a lifetime, 35 years worth of resentment and anger. And I 
I just gave myself to it. And I didn't, you know, have a deadline. Nobody said, okay, you have to do this in three weeks. And I worked on that fourth step for four, or for two years, for two years before I was ready to read it. And it was extremely thorough. Of course, nothing could be, you know, I could not ever do anything not thoroughly. But um, it was it was a lifesaver because I began to see you know, I began to see how, what's that line in the big book, how people and situations really dominated me and how there was a, there was a different way. There was a different way. And um, when I read that to my sponsor, you know, I, I, was, I was really, by this time I think I'd, I'd had three or four years, two or three, I, I can't really remember, years of abstinence. And, um, you know, I, I began to feel how things were. I mean, things had changed dramatically with regard to food. And by the way, I am not perfect with my food, you know. I mean, I, I have large meals, I have small meals, I have comfortable meals, and I have uncomfortable meals. But I have, for since August 26, 1989, abstained from eating between meals and abstained from the, those original foods, and plus I've added more uh, as time has gone by. So when I finished my fourth step, I realized that, you know, when they were talking about the, the physical changes, that, that there were emotional changes and spiritual changes, I think I, you know, I certainly um, felt the spiritual changes pretty quickly, as I said, because I really gave myself over to God as I understood God. And I remember the first time I worked the third step, you know, my sponsor told me, what was God to you? What, you know, what was God? What is he now? And what do you want him to be? And it was a very brief thing, but it was, it was very helpful. But after I worked my fourth step, I, you know, I really, I started to feel like things were changing emotionally. And I noticed that, um, you know, when I, when I would, 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 I had a pink cloud, a long time pink cloud where I didn't really kind of, you know, want to eat, overeat that much. But, of course, once I started working the fourth step, then, of course, that started to change because I started to see what I was eating over. And I started to see the deep, deep dysfunction that I had in my life. You know, I was never, like, I always thought of myself, well, I liked to appear as this really together person. And, and it was really, really hard to come face-to-face with not only, you know, how I put a, a front to the public that, you know, the, that wasn't really me, but also how I had completely separated from myself, you know, how I had, had completely abandoned myself. And, and as I work, 20 years later, I am still working on that, you know. It, it, it's just... You peel the onion a little bit more, but I still, you know, my default is to not connect with myself. You know, my default is to find something that will take me from from connecting with myself. But what 20 years has given me is the reality or the recognition that, you know, that that's happening. I, I recognize that a little bit sooner and I don't, I'm not ruled by it anymore. Another thing that I just wanted to say about early on was that when I um, I would be hungry and I would have these thoughts that, you know, that I have to eat. I mean, even today, like, I'm sure we can all relate. You know, oh my God, I'm hungry. I've got to have something or I'm going to die. But I remember reading in a pamphlet, it said, an OA pamphlet, it said, 
Um, don't be afraid of the hunger. Although it is painful, it, it can't hurt you, and it will pass. And I live on that. I live on that today. I, I live on that as it relates to everything in addition to food, to any feelings that I have that I'm like, I've got to do something about this, you know. It's painful, but it can't hurt me. And God, my higher power, is there to help me with it. After, um, sometime after I had, I had worked the fourth step and, you know, the fifth step, and I probably was somewhere in the sixth step, I can't remember, it was 90, 1994, so I was five years in program. And I started to feel like, oh, you know, I need to have uh, a different concept of God because God, you know, I was like getting mad at God when I wouldn't get what I want. And I was like afraid. And I was, again, I was sort of starting to separate again from myself. And I heard some an OA speaker at a meeting, and she said, and I really liked what she said. I loved her concept of God. Her concept of God is very close to what it says in the in the big book, in chapter five, where it talks about that if we humbly rely on God, and 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 do as He would have us, that He will enable us to match calamity with serenity, because that was like. That felt really safe again. That felt really safe. And, and so she, said, she made a suggestion as to how uh, I could rework the third step. And what she suggested was that I, every day for 30 days I write down a quality of God that I wanted, a quality in God that I wanted. And so I did that. And it was, it was the most healing, amazing thing, you know, at the time. After 30 days I had 30... 30 things that were defining God to me. And it was um, basically things like, you know, that God loves me whether I'm doing his will or not, or God's always there whether I can feel God or not. It was just anything that I could suggest to myself that this was this is what I wanted from God. And after 30 days, I read them to her, my sponsor, I can't remember, and she said, they said, well, then that's your God. And, and that... The, the whole idea of, of my recovery in Overeaters Anonymous has been about developing a relationship with a power greater than myself, improving my conscious contact with God as I understood him, so that I don't have to hurt myself with food or behavior or anything else that I've started, that I started to use after food wasn't an option. I have, I have probably like eight minutes left now, so I, I, I'm not sure how much I can summarize 20 years in that time. So, um, but really, I mean, the longer I've been around, I mean, you know, actually, just in in the time that I have, I'll, I'll just talk about really kind of what happened because it wasn't like, oh, okay, everything was fine after that, you know. I mean, after I was about uh, 10, around the, the time I was about 10 years old in OA, I started to... Um, What's that expression in the big book? Um, slack off on our spiritual program or whatever the expression is. And I didn't, um, you know, I was going to a lot of meetings and, you know, at the beginning I went to a ton of meetings because meetings for me were really helpful. And I've always used the tools. I mean, the, I want to just, of course, mention how important the tools are in my life today. And I use, I use many tools on a daily basis. I don't go to as many meetings as I used to, but I use the other tools. Because I can't, you know, what I've come to believe and come to understand in Overeaters Anonymous is that these things are my medicine. And I can't not use my medicine. Because if I don't take my medicine, I will 
it might take a day or a week or a month, but I'll be, I'll, 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 ha- I'll start to have some kind of a, you know, problem that, that, because I'm not really doing the things that I need to do on a daily basis. So anyway, around that time, you know, I, I, I had had sponsors. Like I said, they all kept moving, and I was more than happy to have them move because I couldn't be intimate with a sponsor, you know, with any consistency. And I wasn't writing, and I was probably going to maybe two meetings, and, you know, I, I, was, uh, I started to, to eat more, and I started to gain weight, and I didn't notice it really. And then... At this meeting that I went to, you know, I, I, I heard people talking about how they were, their sponsor suggested this, and their sponsor asked them to do that, and, you know, it was kind of like re-arriving at OA, like, oh, I, I, I want a sponsor like that. I want a sponsor that I have a relationship. I want, I want, I want, you know, and um, so I, I, I got a sponsor, and and I started uh, calling her every day and leaving her a message. And we have a commitment to talk every week. And over time, you know, she she uh, suggested that I, or she didn't suggest. She hardly ever told me to do anything. But one time she said, you need to go to more than one meeting a week. And I was like, okay. You know, because I was like really comfortable with the one meeting I went to, and I kept thinking, well, there's never going to be another meeting that's going to be as good as that meeting. But <laughs> there was. And then she, and then soon after that, she told me that I had to start calling people. And I'm sure I, I know I had made calls over my 10 years at that point, but it was not part of my routine. I did not want to. I didn't want to talk to anybody. I was like, fine, by myself with my sponsor and my books and just kind of, you know, but she's like, you need to have a community. You need to have an OA community. You need to have people. People. I was like, okay, how? How do I do it? And I'm 10 in OA. So, you know, I I was sort of like, that was like such a changing point for me because I was like, I had to be teachable again. And she just said, call up and say, I'm making, I'm practicing making calls, and I and I did, and and now today, like ten years later, and I'll just add, of course, that things started to change and things got better, and my food cleaned up, and I I had lost probably I don't know some amount of weight when I'd first gotten there and kind of stabilized, and like I said, started to go up, and in the last you know probably eight years, um, I've probably lost I don't know. 30, 40 pounds, I'm not really sure. But because it isn't important anymore. It doesn't, if I focus on my weight, I start gaining weight. If I focus on the steps and my spiritual recovery and my emotional recovery, my connection with my fellows and Overeaters Anonymous, then I'm comfortable and then I'm okay. Just want to put in this one other plug. For the last 10 years, you know, I, I mean, working the steps, you know, I, I've worked the steps quite a few times over over and over again and um and and the way that I do that now is that I have a commitment to myself to write for a, a certain amount of time every week and if I can't do it on the day that I usually do it I do it other days and sometimes if I just can't write because it's just too emotionally hard I'll read I'll read some literature you know it's like I give myself a break today I mean I'm I'm so different from the way that I was when I first came in, you know, this, like, intense perfectionist 
who had no other way of doing it because that kept me alive. And today I'm still a perfectionist and I still struggle with those things, but I, I get it sooner that it doesn't have to be that way and I have alternatives. I have my fellows. I have the tools. I have the literature. I have a sponsor. I have meetings. I do service. That's a tool I always forget to mention. And, you know, doing service for others, which is, I I call a lot of people that I know, and I also try to call newcomers that I don't know, or somebody that I don't know, because it's harder for me to do that, and it makes me feel better. You know, like, I know, I remember what it was like to make a call. It's like I'm bothering somebody. They don't want to hear from me. But I know when I get calls today, I am thrilled. I love to get calls. So everything about my life on the outside is the same. You know, I'm married to the same person. I do the same kind of work. I have a relationship with my family, although that's changed dramatically for the better. But inside, I am connected to myself. You know, there's my favorite story, and I'll just close with this. In the big book, The Alcoholics Anonymous big book, is uh, AA number three, where he talks. they talk about how he... You know, he got out of the hospital and he ran a political campaign and he lost. But he found God, and in finding God, he had found himself. And that's my story. Thank you. (laughs) Apparently I have time for a couple of questions. One question. Yeah, the question is, um, how do I deal with, with stresses that come up? How do I deal with them one by one or at all, I guess, is the question. Um, it depends on, I guess, what kind of mood I'm in or what the situation is, but... Because I, my still default is to hardly ever reach out to others first. So I go to God first. And I, and I say, you know, God, what, what is your will for me? Or I write, or I pray, or, you know, I, 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 use, I use my relationship with my higher power. Um, but really, the ultimate is when I, when I say it out loud and tell another person how I feel, it takes all... It takes it all away. I'll just give an example. My husband and I went on a trip, and uh, we went overseas, and I was just terrified. I just hate to travel. I, you know, I was like, oh, I'm gonna, we're going to die in a plane crash or whatever. And, and I was really afraid that I wasn't going to come back, but I was, I was humiliated to even admit that. Like, everybody's like, oh, you're going away, and how great. And I'm like, yeah, but... So the day we left, I went and had lunch with a friend, a program friend, and I said, I'm going to tell her. I'm going to tell her how I feel. And I told her, and she pointed out to me that probably one of the reasons that I was feeling that way is because I was afraid to kind of let go and let myself have a good time. And it was like, oh, my God, you're right. And everything changed. And I went, and we had a fantastic time. And thanks, Leonard, for your help in that. So yeah, so it's 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 speaking my truth and and finding a safe person to speak it to and making sure that I'm not using other people who aren't safe because that's that's a, an important lesson to learn too. Thank you. Okay.